0: Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika, and this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures.
1: Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5E's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators.
0: Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary.
1: A message from friends of the show what up nerd nation steve here from the dads with nerdy ambitions podcast or dna for short your go-to podcast for all things nerd culture you want to know fun facts about the latest movies done interested in a new hobby we've got you have questions and want to hear from the experts say no more join me and my crew every week to hear about our latest takes on everything nerdy and go on a few tangents on the dads with nerdy ambitions podcast where we know it's not just a hobby it's hereditary Welcome, everybody, to tonight's State of the table i'm joined here as always with my irwhi co-host Wanika. i am glad that we are able to get together here tonight and uh, and get the chance to go ahead and uh talk about some stuff that has been floating around over the last couple of weeks uh, while we have been deeply immersed in in our critical role content uh, for the month of april here there's some there's some announcements that came out some things some interesting things i gotta say though that I, I hope that hope that everybody out there listening enjoyed critical role month i know i really enjoyed uh, getting a chance to dive into into that content a little bit and uh, man i started editing the uh the last uh, class warfare uh, that we did the the blood hunters there with a friend of the show scald from awfully queer heroes boy was that just a good time that was so much fun how about you what do you think about critical role month i really liked it first of all our
0: interviews were amazing i got so much out of speaking with some fantastic creators, both Hannah and Sadie. Thank you. Were, post. we're fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no post when you're live. It's just yeah. me tripping <laughs> over my own tongue. They were both fantastic <laughs> interviews. Like, um, there was a real connection, like so much so that it was like, it was almost like we were, they're were the folks we've been gaming with all our lives, even though we're meeting them effectively for the first time during these interviews. And I thought that was grand, like great conversations. A really nice peek behind the curtain on how these books get crafted, created, how yep. very talented people get pulled into this inner circle of creators and are able to do their thing on such a grand scale. Sure. Um, yeah. And yet still, everybody we spoke to was so humble and grateful for yep. the opportunities for the connections with players, fans uh, and such. Mm-hmm. It was not to sound too cliche. It was very inspirational.
1: Yeah, no, totally agree. Sadie and, and Hannah, if you're out there uh, listening, thank you so very much for coming on. Those interviews were uh, fantastic. And it was really awesome to get the chance to sit down and talk with you guys about about tabletop role-playing games and about the projects that you've been working on. Fantastic. And uh, so kudos to you both. And thank you very much for coming on because I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And it was also really great to get into for the first time in a deep way, some of the Critical Role game content. Talking about yeah. Call of the Nether Deep, you know, again, like by our own admission, we had never been huge Critical Role fans. And so thank you to Patreon supporter Jen for kind of kicking us in the keister a little bit and getting us to go ahead and, and, uh, and motivate in that direction here. But man, like and, talking and- about Call of the Deep was fantastic. And that's such yeah. a g- great book. It's a re- it was really great to go ahead and see such a great book come out so early in the year. I think that we as fans of the, and of fans of Wizard of the Coast, we needed a win after. Yeah. And we got a win. We got After some books at the end of the year that maybe weren't as strong, this was a really strong, good book. And so I'm really, I was really glad to, to, to dive into it a little bit.
0: Absolutely. I'm a big football fan from years back and I have a basic philosophy, hit them with the run so they know you're there. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what this book did. It hit hit us running and it was a great job. I also, I know you already shouted out Jen, our patron and good friend, but I also want to double down on that. That was an incredible addition to the episode where we spoke about the book uh, itself, as opposed to just the creators of the book. And some of the extra lore we got just learning about the beacons and why Irvine had his challenges with where he was.
1: Oh, that was so good. Where he's
0: going. Like I would have never gotten that without knowing a little bit more. There were two other books. That Wizards has produced a third book, which I bought, and I have barely get scratched at this point. The Tal'dorei Reborn to get all of the lore, plus umpteen, however many campaigns they are deep now, sure. uh, and having Jen guide our ship
1: through those particular waters—a a godsend. Yep, totally agree. And so I would—we'll talk about this more at the end of the episode. But uh, long and story short, is that we're going to try to do more kind of. Groups of content in that way. We have another one coming up here shortly in the uh, the month of May here, but. We're going to start first with kind of our uh, state of the table feature here. And first state of the table, normally what we do is we will sit down and we'll talk about the news from the tabletop role-playing game space that has come up for the last week or so. But This is a rare one. We haven't done one of these in a couple of weeks here. So we're actually going to be going back even further with that because in the middle of April now, two solid weeks ago anyway, almost three weeks ago, the d d Direct event happened and boy, oh boy, there were some major... Major significant announcements that came out of that. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna dive into that announcement. We're gonna dive into to what our feelings are on some of the on some of the things that are happening here. Um, so before we get diving into D and D Direct, uh, my friend, uh, do you have anything you want to bring up for state of the table, or do you want to dive right into well, the D and D Direct stuff? I know we've
0: posted it to our, a lot of our feeds, but I bears repeating because this is a great avenue to, to mention the big purchase, the fact that D&D yeah. Beyond has been purchased by Wizards <sighs> of the Coast. Uh, totally all kinds of game pundits and talkers and naysayers and, and cheerleaders on all sides of this. But uh, what <laughs> yeah. I can promise you is this, there are going to be changes. Yeah. I think most of them for the good. There are a couple areas that I have some worries, but in, in general, yeah. I think it's a great thing. They've secured the fact that the umpteen years and the dollars I've put in to D&D Beyond, building up my knowledge base, my character base, my ability to run games through it. It's becoming more of an integral part of my game running, at least when I do virtual. And I actually see it being pretty instrumental in managing live games when I get back to those, hopefully this summer. I was worried what the next evolution of D&D would bring yeah. as far as dropping d Beyond. Now sure. that it's part of the, part of the family, I, I can say I'm very pleased with that news. I can only hope and pray this means I'm going to get my sidekicks And patrons added at some point and a little bit better, a little more gooey on the interface as far as some of the homebrew stuff. I know some of it's window dressing for those who are really good at things like Roll20 and programming and that kind of knowledge and know how to make those formulas and things like that. That's wonderful. I appreciate what you do. You're great to me. But for those of us who are not so great at that or it's not as intuitive, I would like to be able to write a homebrew thing put it on D-Beyond and have it not take longer than it took me to write the thing in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To get it to work.
1: Yeah, I I think we all felt like D&D was recognizing that they needed something like D&D Beyond themselves, if not a full VTT engine like Roll20. And so the fact that rather than build their own and block DD Beyond out of the marketplace. Instead, they decided to fold in and bring d Beyond in and make it part of the same organization. That is just a, a tremendously awesome move that I think rewards all those years of, of homebrewers, all the hours that have been spent homebrewing stuff into the into d Beyond has been rewarded and recognized here by uh, Wizards of the Coast. And that's a great thing. And let's not,
0: let's take a brief moment to say thank you to the people at DD Beyond and fandom. For not only building a good product, because lots of products are, but marketing that product well enough, so it got in front of enough eyes, that it made this the decision that Wizards had to make. You have to imagine, if they didn't have to spend all those millions of dollars to buy it, because anything else would have worked, they would have done that. But they did this because fans have backed this product, and they knew that fans had backed this product. Enough people were using this tool. The reason why enough people are using this tool, one, it's a good product, but two... It got in front of our eyes. When I first started playing D&D 5e, one of the first things I noticed was somebody playing on a tablet and had a character on D&D Beyond. And I remember saying, I got paper. I don't need any of that claptrap. I was getting all (laughs) groggy. And it wasn't, but maybe four or five games later, and I was like, I really want to build some characters. Or I was someplace I was like, I want to build a character fast. And it was just, and it was easier and it was portable And it worked and it made the rolling better. It's a great tool for new players. All those things. So congrats to fandom for building a product that was a must have for Wizards. Absolutely. (laughs)
1: All right. Let's dive into D&D Direct a little bit here and try to, in, in in five minutes or less per snippet here, try to go ahead and get into that. That's not, not going to happen because the first big announcement, the first big confirmation that we got in this, there was a bunch of little things, but well, not little things, but a bunch of things about like Journey to the Radiant Citadel, which comes out in June, confirmation of the Mordenkainen's book, which we know is coming out in about a week from now. So two big books coming out in the next month, but- yep. The big announcement, the big new thing in d d Beyond, Spelljammer Adventures in Space. The campaign setting for Spelljammer coming out. August of this year. So again, three, four months from now, we're going to have a brand new campaign setting. And we've seen some signs of it from from the UA not that long ago. We had all the creatures come out in the UA. I'm curious to see how much they have changed since then and everything like that, Uh, because there's always always some fun, interesting changes when they take a UA and put it into a book. But what are your thoughts on the Spelljammer setting? First of all, just like in general. So I'll take that in two parts, maybe
0: three. We'll see how that goes. Part one, Spelljammer in general. Very anxious for it. I always liked the concept. I never actually played the game like a Spelljammer campaign. That's so good. What what I did was I played in games where a Spelljammer ship came, picked us up, and there was a travel. So we played other campaigns, homebrew campaigns, and then it was uh, we'd Spelljam to another place. So basically... We got to go between the different worlds, the different crystal spheres to do different things because of Spelljammer. So it was a part of our games, but we never played it in and of itself. And I always liked it. I thought it was rippled with wonderful ideas and and concepts. Spelljammer opens up several different modes of campaign or modes of adventure in a way that they aren't there. You can do more Star Trek type stuff, go from place to place. You can have a great war epic kind of thing. You can do Stranded and Lost in a way that that is different and unique as compared to doing Stranded and Lost in Room, where every square inch of the planet is known. There are no places untouched by some big, huge thing or some world-shattering event. So Spelljammer opens up the cosmos to the DMs and the storytellers out there to, to play with. You can do anything you want. You could have a world that's just like the well, just like Farron, but drops out the pieces you don't like. It could be, yep. we can Greyhawk again. We can do yeah. all these things and we can move between them. I think there's just so many things that opens up. It's wonderful. So that's my overall Spelljammer thought. I'm really interested in all the new creatures, all the new abilities. Uh, the new races are amazing. Okay. And it's its own built-in way. How do I get this new lineage or race in my world? Pretty easy got dropped off by a Spelljammer ship or something went yep. awry, their Spelljammer yeah. crashed, and these people were stranded here. So they've lived on an island for their whole life, couldn't get off the island, and then finally somebody came and picked them up. There's all kinds of wonderful things like that. You could even have the the colony of people who are basically watching a world, basically yeah. Spelljammer watchers that just watch and report back. There's all kinds of wonderful things that it opens up, and I'm, I'm, I'm all here for it.
1: <laughs> Have you had a chance to check out the uh, the creatures that are in uh, the Monstrous Compendium Volume 1 That they released out to, to D&D Beyond uh, subscribers?
0: I know they're there, but I haven't Because yeah. I've been focused on a couple other things that we're going to talk about today But I did know they're there and I went looking for them I did notice the GIF are no longer UA They actually show up in D&D Beyond as a yep. thing okay. uh, Which okay. is exciting, that's awesome, I love them I like Uh, it. I even wrote something for our book that was originally supposed to be a gif and a loxodon. But GIF yep. wasn't official at the time, so I couldn't really just go ahead and do oh. that. So we switched it to two Loxodon. I think in future iterations of our uh, Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, I'm going to have to switch mm-hmm. that back to its original form, which is a gift yep. from the Loxodon, like blocking like a it. bridge.
1: That's a lot of meat on the hoof there. <laughs> yeah, a- yeah, just a little That's bit. A- yeah, um, yeah, yeah,
0: But I'm looking forward to digging into those, to those creatures. I already have introduced a spell jamming ship into my homebrew camp, the Sentinels of the North. And
1: I'm looking forward to that book coming out so I can dig more into that. Cool. Yeah. The creatures are no joke, as you can expect. I strongly suggest checking them out. The Eldritch Lich is a no joke. The Nightmare Beast. The 40 foot tall nightmare beast, no joke. The asteroid spiders, You know how I feel about spiders. I don't need, I don't need asteroid spiders in my game. That's not, a, I don't need that. Thank you very much for that, for that wizards. So, but seriously, some fun creatures, the puppeteer parasite, a tiny aberration that latches itself onto creatures and either feeds on them or psionically. I saw them. that one. I saw yeah, that one. That the so pretty actually. cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, those are nice. Um, I, I think, when, uh, I think when the Spelljammer book comes out in, April, in August, rather, and we start looking at our Class Warfare for that month, I am sure that Spelljammer creatures will be, uh, will be on the list of uh, things that we throw at uh, whoever's going to be running our baddies that month. Yep. So that'll be a good time. What, what do you think about the format of the release of the Spelljammer book? That's like the second part of the question, too, because we're yes. all excited for Spelljammer. What do you think about putting out three distinct smaller books? I like that for a host
0: of reasons. One, it's almost a great fan service to the table. Right. I'm yeah. looking in a book. There's three other books, the books at the table. Everybody can be looking at their own piece of it at, at a given time, as opposed to one book that one person has that everybody there's got, got these pieces that go out. But what I really like about it is I think it's what we're going to see in the future. I think whenever they're releasing these settings, we're going to get these uh, three-part sets or four-part sets. And I think the reason that works well is it reminds me of the old box sets and think yep. about the, the release we're going to talk about in a little bit. I won't name mm-hmm. drop it right yet. <laughs> But that's also, as I understand, going to come out in a similar format. with. Yeah, yeah books, I'm sure it is. Or yeah. Whatever. Uh, so we've got that with the Monsters of the Multiverse and the two reprint books. We've got this with Spelljammer. We've got this with that third release that we're going to be talking about. And I think that's a good go forward. Basically separate the information the way it needs to be separated. Yep. And then you can work with it that way. And I think it's, totally. it, it looks pretty. It's nice on a shelf, though. I did realize that those three box sets, when you put them in the cardboard, it doesn't fit on the bookshelf I have. Actually, mm. I have to do some, figure something out. That's criminal. Or all of Absolutely those criminal. sit on yeah. the top out of yeah. order, which freaks me out. I'm <laughs> like, I have to have things yeah. in order and I can't because it won't actually fit
1: in yeah, yeah, the yeah. slot.
0: So I yeah. got to work on that. But I'm, like I said, I'm here for it. I
1: like yep. that concept. I think it's going to be a good way to go. Yep, totally agree. I think that specifically, as you said, at the table, it's going to be fantastic because you're going to have your information book, you're going to have your setting book, and then you're going to have kind of your storybook that the storyteller is going to need with all the information that they want in it. Absolutely yep. here for it. I think it's a fantastic idea. I, I like the way that they're dividing it out. And I totally agree with you. It reminds me of the old box sets. It's it's like the old days when you had like a player's handbook, the Dungeon Master's Guide and the Monster Manual. You had those three books, pass them around as you needed them and everything like that. A plus. Yeah. Win in my book. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh,
0: 2021 was not a banner year for wizards from us as far as some of the business decisions some of the books early in the year were we had challenges with some of the ones later in the year even yeah. though they had elements of brilliance like we could see what they were going for we didn't think they quite crossed the finish line the way we had hoped but again out the gates running bang on book with a call of the nether deep i love what I've read so far, I'm about halfway through Monsters of the Multiverse. That's a great book. I'm enjoying it. I like what it's doing. There are going to be people who are going to talk about power creep. I guarantee it. And <laughs> I'm not entirely wrong. What? but I, don't, sh- I am shocked that you would suggest such a thing. Shocked. Shocked at uh, all. But it is not something that I think is unbalancing to the game. I okay. think it is creating really good alternate choices. And I think it does put a little on the shoulders of the storytellers. They have to wait do my players just get to upgrade because this is the new thing is that I have to introduce this new version of it. Okay. There's this kind of goblin and there's also this other kind of goblin. There's these original types of ASMR. And then there's this new type of ASMR who by the way is hands
1: down one of the most powerful lineages I've ever seen. You were saying that before that the rewrite of the ASMR was
0: impressive. It, 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 it's impressive. Yeah. Okay. It is fun. It is really good. Look, nothing's game breaking from a lineage standpoint. You still gotta put a class on it, you still gotta put yep. class abilities, you're still having level one hit points or whatever, but the versatility that lineage gives you to be in other things, it would make me second guess doing a variant human. Like
1: I, hmm. I, I could do that and, and interesting, give up with yeah. Me
0: and mm-hmm. I don't give up seats easily.
1: No you don't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to talking that book in a couple of weeks here. So when the, when it comes out by itself on uh, March next Tuesday I think is that? Yeah. I think May, it comes out next Tuesday, May 12th. Yeah. 10th, May 10th, something like that. Anyway, all that to go ahead and say when it comes out on its own, we're going to go ahead and talk about it after that. But rather than talk about it when it came out in its three-box set or earlier in the year, we are going to wait till the book comes out set, uh, by itself. But your point is well taken, that the first two books of this year really seemed to be better. Let's just say it. They seemed yeah. better than the books that were coming out at the end of last year. We hit on the Strixhaven book pretty good, I think. <laughs> like There were things in there that we liked, but there were a lot of things that seemed... Incomplete. I think is that's. I think you're exactly right on that. And and specifically when we look at things in Call of the Netherdeep, we, we talked about this with uh, with Sadie and Hannah both about how some of the mechanics, like the relationship mechanics and things that you saw in Call of the Netherdeep, had echoes in Strixhaven, but were not nearly as good in Strixhaven as they were in Call of the Netherdeep. So. Like I said, they didn't quite cross the finish line for us previously but they
0: crossed the finish line arms held wide as they broke the tape. Yep. They got it done first in class without a yep. doubt with what they've done so far. So yeah, uh, yep. good stuff. And I love the new format. I'm like I said, I, I want to see more of it. I love settings. I love the fact that there's going to be a book with the, the info and, and that I can build stories from and around and ideas.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yep. good on Spelljammer. Do you want to totally. go with the next one? Absolutely. So the next one, and I know that he, it's the one li- I'm not going to go to the one that you think I'm going to go to yet. I'm going to talk first about the new D&D starter set, Dragons of Stormwreck Isle. I know we're getting there. We're getting there. I know we're getting there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Come on, bitches.
1: I mean, so again, so the choice to put out a new starter set. Is very interesting to me. And I think that this is probably going to be one of the first products that we see that really emphasize this new evolution of d It's going to, it's resetting the table, right? This is the opportunity for Wizards of the Coast to put out a kit specifically designed for f- folks that have never played before and can pick up a box and say, run through an adventure, do a thing. And it's going to, and it's going to help, it, it's going to reset the table. It's going to, uh, set new expectations. So I, I think that they don't want conversations about power creep. They want to reset the expectations about what they should be properly powered at the beginning. And this is the way that you go ahead and do that. So I think that this is, again, this is a very good decision to go ahead and try. If they're really trying to go ahead and institute a an evolution, a, a change in the setting, a change in the game as a whole, a new rule set or a change in the rule set, then this is the way to do it. And I think that it's very interesting. Do I wish that they did something other than an adventure for levels one through five? Yes, because we talk about high level content all the time, not being there, but it is what it is. I agree. I think, look,
0: Wizards realized something with 5e that they didn't do with 3.5. They clearly didn't do it. At least I didn't recognize it with 4, and that is you have to bring new people into this game. You can't just depend on who's already here. And right. so they did that with Lost Minds of Phandelver. Yep. And then shortly after that, the Dragons of Icefire's peak. I think I might be botching that title slightly. Yep. But but it was basically you had starter set one, you had starter set two. Back in the old TSR days, they did that with the uh, solo adventures, fighter, wizard, thief, whatever. That's something I really wish they would come back to. because I think the solo adventures were really cool. But, Essentially, you had this really cool start, and then you could take your party through that. And then you could go to Icefire Peak and take your party through that or whatever. So you had these two mini campaigns that you could go with. You could either riff off that and continue. You could build them into your story. They fit into Farron as a whole. The party that finished in Delver could end up in with very little effort in Waterdeep. They could end mm-hmm. up in Baldur's mm-hmm. Gate. They could end up on a boat to Chult and hit the tombs of annihilation. Then you have to start your party over again because they die before they, by the time they get hit by the second giant mosquito, <laughs> it, you know, all these different tracks ran out of water, like whatever, all yeah. these things. It was hot and I died. All yeah. these things. <laughs> welcome to <But>, Chult. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Chult. But that's how you brought people in. And for yeah. six years or so, whenever somebody sa- asked the question, Hey, I'm new to this. How do I get started? DMing?" It was, here's the lost minds of Fendelver. I've yep. done it a little bit. I did Fandelver. I had a good time. What, what should I do next? Not really sure. I've got some newer players too. Here's Icemire Peak, right? Yep. So now we've got this new thing. And granted, it's starting over at that early level again, as opposed to taking the same group to a higher level, which I think would also be a nice idea. But yep. it's doing that. It's, there have been significant changes between 2021 and, and, and 2022. Here's your restart. Here's a way to do that. Here's the way goblins should be. Here's the way works yep. should be. Here's the yep. way dragon should be. All of these things that are going to pop up in this venture, whatever that may be. And I like it. I yep. look forward to that. Look, I've heard nothing but great things about Lost Minds and Fendelver. I don't tend to run uh book games, but Call of the Nether Deep has awakened my ears to the fact that maybe it's worthwhile doing uh a little bit. So I'm looking forward to it. and you've run uh Candle Keep, though we ran off and yeah. homebrewed it after a while. Yeah. That first adventure, which was pretty straight out of the book, was amazing. It was amazing. Um, yeah, it was a really good. You know, yeah. So I can only think that it would be better. It'd be pretty cool. My greatest, my first and greatest D&D party that I played started in a box set adventure, the basic red box, uh, yep. and went through that and went to the blue and went to, and went through all those. I, and I think there's something to be said for that.
1: And the fact that they're recapturing that glory
0: is a a very good thing. Yep.
1: Yeah. Totally agree with you. I agree with all those points. And having confirmed that the uh, the characters on the cover of the uh, of the new D anD D starter set are references to the original Dungeon Dragons cartoon, that's just cool. That's just nice. That's just a well placed. Uh, that's just a good idea. Hey there, travelers! Do you want early access to all of our episodes? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? You can do all that by signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. But wait, there's more. For the next month, you can get a free coffee mug for signing up at the Adventurer level. Plus, Adventurer level Patreons automatically get complimentary copies of our latest book, The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, available on DMs Guild. We love doing this show for y'all, and your support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment. So join us today at www.patreon.com slash journeys All right. I, I don't think that there was really anything else in the d d direct announcement that we wanted to talk. Was there anything else in the announcement that you wanted to talk about or uh, anything anything else that I, I think th- we got really? it.
0: That's it, folks. Thank you. No. That's it. Yeah. Um, no. God. Yeah. There is that one thing, that little tiny book series that struggled real bad in dragon the late planets! 80s and
1: early 90s. There's Dragonlance! You
0: know, That's that whole thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Dragon Lance. Yeah. You know, yeah. Dragon Lance. Oh, oh, goodness. Going back let that, let that to let the realm of other oh.
0: fans, let that sink in.
1: <laughs> Dragon Lance.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. The War
0: of the Lance. Yeah. The which is interesting. Of the Lance. Yeah. I am so psyched. Yeah. Like, I was psyched last year, but it was almost like a don't tease me like this. Yeah. I like I can't until it's real kind of thing. And then we got that first UA and I'm like, I'm really excited, but don't tease me like this. Like I'm waiting for the rug to be get pulled out from under me. And yeah. then we got this second UA uh and I'm like, ooh, yep. ooh yeah.
1: Which is weird. That's what like I'm that, talking so that's about. That's a weird thing that they did, right? Where they put out and the, speaking of which, the survey is already out for the uh, revisited unearthed arcana heroes of Kryn. Uh, so th- the survey is out for that. So go, uh, go. We'll put make sure to put the link in the description at the end here, uh, so we can go ahead and check that out. But get on that survey and go ahead and do that. But but that's weird, right? That they very rarely will take a UA, modify it. Undoubtedly because of, fe- of, uh, of feedback, because a lot of the pieces that were changed, I'm looking at you, Kender, were certainly reflective of the feedback that we provided and that we talked about in our episode about the Heroes of Kryn, UA. I think that there's there's definitely a lot of, they're putting a lot of thought into what is appearing in this book, and they seem very responsive to what people want from this, in this book. And that's very encouraging. That's very good. Yeah, look, they
0: definitely want to build a, a better product. They want this to be to work and they want this to come out the gates. I've seen some of the interviews between Kendrick and Crawford and his talk about how they're building this, and what they're trying to do. I'm down with, look, I know their job is to sell this product. Kendrick yeah. works for part of the company. Crawford works. Crawford practically is the company. So their job is to sell this. So they're obviously going to hit the right questions. But I I don't think the questions that were asked were softball questions, per se. I thought they were pretty decent questions. And they were the questions I wanted to hear answers to anyway. So softball or otherwise, those were questions I had. So I really do think whether that was just an extended sales pitch or not, it's got me excited. I like the vision they're trying to accomplish. I see what they're going for, and I'm pretty excited for the changes that they've made and what that's going to bring. I'm pretty pleased with the way the UA came out The second UA. I do like it better than the first one. They gave me Kender the way I want the Kender to be. I I wasn't pleased with it as a a, uh, fey creature. The gnome background is interesting, but I know there's some... There's some lore backing for that, but at least the Kender's not a fancy halfling. It is its own thing. And that I really appreciate. So we've got an actual 100% new lineage, not a new variant for an existing lineage. And that's really cool. Um, Yeah,
1: and I think you and I have had this uh, have had this discussion off air, and we haven't put it down about a week and a half ago because I think that we basically came to the point that we uh, we were going to have to agree to disagree on whether or not this was a good thing or not. And I'm still not totally sure where I come down on the campaign specific bonus feats. I am cognizant of. Giving away bonus feats, giving away two bonus feats, even in a limited fashion, because the campaign is happening in the War of the Lance. And I just think an extra feat at first level, an extra feat at fourth level is too much. I really do. That is tempered only by the fact that, again, because the list is limited and the first level list is not that good right giving tough at first level that's two extra hit points right that's, that's not much and so that's fine allowing players at fourth level to go ahead and get things like sentinel or things like warcaster for free at fourth level it's an interesting choice it's a very interesting choice and i'm not totally sure that i'm down with it and i'm content
0: with our decision to agree to disagree but so that we can frame this this discussion for everyone. And we'll have it again when the book comes out, I'm sure. First of all, what Crawford made very clear in his interview was this was a Dragonlance exclusive. And while we have Spelljammer that can cross from game world to game world, the idea is the things that work in one game world do not work in another. Not that they don't work. So a player from Dragonlance, War of the Lance era, does in fact get these things. But if they travel to Fehran, they'll still have those things other folks won't. That's that is the way it is designed. So from that perspective, I get what you're saying. However, yeah. from the perspective that every PC in Ancelon in Dragonlands has the exact same thing, I don't think it's too much. I okay. think it's cool. And I will only say this about that. I what I really liked about one of the things I liked about third edition and the feat progression that they had, because everybody got feats at exactly the same spots. Interestingly yep. enough, fourth level was one of those spots or yep. what just fighters got more like now, but was the fact that there were feats that were specific that if you took them at first level, because everybody got a first level feat in, in 3.5, right? So if you took the background feat, that was from your area. And this really came out in the forgotten realms 3.5 book which is if you were from, if you were a gold elf, there was a feat for gold elves or or, or feats that were available for gold elves. They had a list of feats by each possible area you could be from, and they were feats that would be indicative. If you have this, like all the people from this area tend to have these one or two feats kind of thing, and it was part of your background. So I think what they're doing here is exactly the same thing, just making it a slightly different mechanic. They're embedding the feet with the background, because background trait isn't something they had in 3.5, so that it better identifies and stylizes your character from an area or from a group. And then the bonus feed at fourth level is to make it so you have some you have the opportunity to either do something that differentiates you from that group or a group or makes you brings you closer to that group. And for me, I think it's great. I think it's also a good thing because look, we review a whole lot of subclasses and there are a bunch of them that have some pretty lackluster features at five. And so now you've got a feat that you can have that, can, that pretty much makes up for the fact that the next two levels that they're going to get are some pretty lackluster features.
1: Oh, boy. Yeah.
0: So and here... Go ahead. Yeah, and so that's my take. One, it's perfectly balanced within its world. And the idea is that it is balanced within its world. Crawford also mentioned the fact that if you look at Theros, they have their piety levels and things like that that no other game has. That is unbalanced if you take those things to another game, by the way. And then they mentioned some of the things that uh, you have in some other other game books. I believe the Dragon Marks were one of the other things he mentioned. Sure, yeah. Each setting book, has its own special feature that no other setting has that in and of itself makes those characters unbalanced in some other game. But if you have, everybody has their own special feature, then everybody still remains inherently balanced. They're just balanced in different ways. And I like the symmetry of that.
1: I was all set to go ahead and, and spill out the plethora of reasons why you're wrong. And then you went and pulled out the dragon marks. And I was like, oh, that's the perfect parallel, actually. That is the perfect parallel. Because what I was going to say is that's all well and good, but we all know that tables are going to be run that are not Dragon Lance exclusive, that are going to Absolutely. want to have characters that have things from Dragonlance and now you're going to have, you're going to have a first level character who says, okay, I'm, I'm from Dragonlance originally. I got sucked into wherever we are through some mystical portal through the multiverse and now i'm here and they'll get their first level feet and maybe and then when fourth level comes like, okay i want to take my fourth level feet now and that dm is going to say no because you're no longer in Dragonlance, and that player is going to be like but i'm a Dragonlance character i'm a knight of salamnia why don't i get my fourth level feet like it's I, I i could see that playing out in my mind. I could see that be I could see that being both the storyteller and the player in that situation and I didn't want to be either one. That was going to be my argument and I was forming how I wanted to go ahead and throw it out there. And then you brought up the dragon marks and I was like, "Oh, you know what? That is that's really a perfect parallel. Like even more so, I think, than the Piety and Theros. Because Piety, yeah, it it does overbalance characters, but at least it is somewhat transferable. Like you can go ahead and bring that in because you've got paladins, you've got clerics, you've got everything like that. So you can go ahead and play on the Piety angle, and everything's fine. But the dragon marks are the perfect parallel to something that is in a setting that is designed to be only in that setting and should never be in a different setting other than that setting. And ah. except in my homebrew world, I use them.
0: I've built a number of characters that have them. I think it's I think they're really cool. I think they're very stylized. Yeah, um, but I don't think you do that and the bonus fourth. So I think you have to make those kind of decisions. And let me
1: just put this on well, okay, record. Well, so wait, OK, I'm, so, so I'm, hold on I'm, here. So if you use dragon marks then, so what would prevent somebody at your table from building a Knight of Salamnia with a dragon mark? And that get that therefore gets the fourth level feat. Because they're going to be one or the other. My homebrew world
0: is, is a world that by in its history, in its lore, was created from people being taken from other places and landing here, and they can't escape. So there are yeah. things, there are dragon marks, there are houses, but they are only for those people. So if you have people who are from War of the Lance that ended up there, I would I and obviously they haven't thus far because it hasn't come out yet, but I would simply allow that on the basis of that's that this group, a portal opened up and this group just dropped in. I would let that happen and I would be cool with that. But that's because I designed a world specifically to allow those types of events. And and let let me also say that in addition to that homebrew world, if anybody thinks I'm not going to run an adventure where some ragtag group of heroes from like one from every world. Is on a spell jammer <laughs> ship going to save the multiverse. <laughs> you are highly mistaken. That ship is going to sail. That yeah, ship is going to sail. We're, we're gonna, gonna find beat themselves in the live fire yeah, yeah. And we're gonna we're and we're gonna have fun doing it. <laughs> Could you imagine with all the gamers we have, every one of us picks one character from one world?
1: Oh goodness, like a a Warforged from Eberron and oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I like think that's. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Leonid Paladin from Theros. Yeah, In my head, I'm already building the campaign page right now. So I, I think there are challenges. I believe I mentioned it does put a little bit on the storyteller to make sure everybody's cool with this. There's a lot of heavy lifting in the session zero. Grab your drinks now that have to be paid attention to. But that doesn't mean it's inherently bad, and it doesn't mean it's not inherently useful to telling a grand story. Look, I've read many of, I won't even say most, but I've read a, a large share of the Dragonlance novels, and mm-hmm. I can guarantee you, you need an extra feat to match some of the crap that these guys were throwing down. You yep. can't equal the heroes of the Lance without some extra good stuff. You're going to need, Rae Got the Staff of the Magus. When he passed his test, that's effectively fourth or fifth level, according to the, the new way of doing things. So by yeah. fourth level, Raceland had this immensely powerful thing and was already uh, partway through his plan to be fist and Dandelus. Not that they were specifically spelling that out, but we saw the wheels turning in in those early chapters. Sure. And that happened before the first book, by the way. Yep. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I, I got to tell you, I think, it makes it's the way to make the books come alive, so that they fixed found a way, so you could play the characters that were here. Theros was a way to play the characters that are in Magic: The Gathering. Ravnica, I'm told, I'm not as familiar with Ravnica though I do yeah, borrow either, yes. from there. But I'm told it has its own internal power thing that's in a similar vein. So I think the idea is these setting books are going to have more and more of that, and and <laughs> I like it. I think it's going to be a good thing for the game as a whole, and I think it's going to create some unique characters and some other things. And honestly, no one feat unbalances
1: the game. No one feat unbalances the game. And giving fighters sent no for free at fourth level when they can also take, like, Great Weapon Master or something else. Sentinel is one of those feats that we said, if you're playing a fighter, you should have Sentinel. Every fighter should have Sentinel if they're playing any sort of a tank role whatsoever. And giving them that for free, it's not nothing. I didn't say it's not
0: nothing, but it's not in and of itself game-breaking. The reason I say that is, I have Sentinel playing my Warforge in streams of Pyro and mm-hmm. and I'm all I, I've run rush out over some early early uh, when I got started fights and, and certain scenarios but all of a sudden I hit this stride where there I was consistently dealing with people who had mobility. But guess what Sentinel doesn't work against? People with mobility. Um, it like yeah. it doesn't work the same. Like I still got to use my power. I still got to do the things. But it was not as game-breaking as you would think. It can be for certain combats. And what my storyteller did, what, what Danito did, is he gave me my moments, mm-hmm. and then he would put those in places so other people had to have their moments. Yeah. And that's exactly what a good storyteller does. So that's what I think happens with these things. You can give people a little bit more power. It's not game-breaking, provided your storyteller is aware of it, knows how to work with it, and gets it done. That's not the thing you're putting in the, the new intro module. That's the thing that's in a campaign setting book that you've, or now that you have already been playing the game, now you yeah. get started with. I think that's the key. I think it's a, it's a
1: journeyman level thing that we're doing here with these, with these hours. In the All right. All right. I will, like, like you said, we will have to agree to disagree on this one. I think it's too much. You think it's well-placed. We shall see when the book actually comes out, and we start running through stuff to see uh, see how well and good it is at that moment in time. But please, like, leave us your thoughts down below. What do you think? Do you think get, that you're with me that getting the bonus feats maybe a step too far? Maybe they should have done something like giving different powers at fourth level. Sure, but giving them bonus feats maybe something a little bit more flavorful. Than that would have been. Or are you at Lee Winika's camp where you feel that the uh, the feats that they provide you are not so game-breaking, even if they're they're given away for free at fourth level? So which one of us do you agree with? Do you agree with me, Lee Winika? Leave your comments down below. We'd love to go ahead and hear them. Let us, let's move on here away from D&D Direct and into our plans for the next month here. Okay. So at, as we said at the top of the show here, we have been... Making allusions to it throughout the month of April, that we already know what's coming up in May, and that uh, that we're going to be doing uh, kind of the same similar thing throughout the month here. And we're going—it's not going to be as strict to a theme as Critical Role month was, because I think we're going to we're going to deviate a little bit here. But for the month of May, we are diving into Eberron. We're going to be talking Eberron content pretty much throughout the month of May here. So. Here's what that is going to look like. We are going to include our class discussion on the Artificer class throughout the month. We're going to have a class warfare where the three of us are going to roll up Artificers and once again throw them up against Big Bads. We are going to have a special episode where we talk, where we go through Eberron uh, Rising of the Last War and Talk about elements that we can lift from that book. Like you were talking about with the dragon March, Louonika. Yeah. Talk about elements that you can lift from that book to your homebrew campaign that are maybe not so Eberron flavored, but that can add a little bit of sauce, add a little bit of spice to your sauce without adding uh, without making it a total Eberron campaign. What are things that lift easily and lift well? And, and then we are also going to have another. We have not had the interview yet, but I I can just I can just tell that it's going to be an epic interview when we have the one, the only Mr. James Intercasso coming onto the show to go ahead and talk about Eberron. I am so looking forward to that, that interview. Thank you very much to Hannah Rose for setting that up with us. Uh, so that's a, a very nice of her to go ahead and help us get in with James there. And we're really looking forward to having him in studio to go ahead and uh, talk about Eberron and whatever else he wants to talk about. We will certainly <laughs> leave him an open podium <laughs> to to go down whatever rabbit hole he would like. So that's uh, certainly not construction Ever. I don't know, what are you most looking forward to with the next month, Luminika?
0: I am really looking forward to the interview with uh, Mr. Intokasso. I think that's going to be amazing. I think uh, we're going to dive into some really good things there, and I, I can't wait for it. Yep. Um, in addition to that, I'm looking forward to the Artificer discussion and the class Warfare. Yeah. Artificer is a class I've never played. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never mm-hmm. had one played at my table That I've run and though there have been a few here or there, so I'm interested in learning about that class. I learned a lot when we did Blood Hunters for uh, Critical Role Month, so I'm looking forward to getting that kind of knowledge. As a storyteller, you can sometimes be a little afraid of that, which you don't know. Like Mm -hmm. I have to have a good feel for something before I really want to run on the table, so I know the kinds of challenges to throw at it and the kinds of challenges that are fair to throw at it versus the kind of challenges that are unfair to throw at it you really don't know until either you've played the the class and know it really well or until you've seen it played and know what other dms have done for it so i'm looking forward to the class warfare episode and the ensuing uh class discussion and subclass rankings to help me bring that home and figure out how i want to do that
1: yeah, like I said, uh, for, for people watching the episode, you have not yet heard the class warfare with Bloodhunter, but boy, was that educational. For one, playing a Blood Hunter, we talked about this in the episode. The episode comes out on, on uh, Saturday where we talk about the blood Hunter class, incredibly complicated, very complex. And that definitely bore out when we did the class warfare too, because I think all of us at various points had questions about, what are we doing? What can we do? And it took us a while to get into it. I, I am also really glad that we had somebody else running the baddies in that Particular one because I think that if I'd had to worry about about a bad guy also uh, on top of my character, that would have been one thing too many. But I thought the and, and I think and again you'll hear this when the class warfare episode comes out, but the flow is honestly so much better with Scald running the uh, the bad guys than than with one of us uh, tr- trying to run it. So that was uh, so I think uh, that's definitely a model that we're going to go ahead and keep up there where we have somebody else running the bads. I definitely keep up with that, and I would imagine that this is not the last time that you'll see Scald in that role because she is delightfully devious at that job. So that's she, I, I
0: she did <laughs> enjoy bringing the pain.
1: <laughs> oh God, when, when, I don't I don't want to spoil it, but you know exactly what I'm talking about, how we were fighting some bad guys and then all of a sudden we were fighting more bad guys and we didn't want to be fighting more bad guys. And then we just got that under control and then all of a sudden we were fighting more bad guys again and all of us had very choice words for the uh, the otherwise amazing scald. So that was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, we, we meant no offense when we said dirty words, <laughs> but there were dirty <laughs> words that had to get bleeped out of that episode. Yeah, I'm, I am super looking forward to Eberron month. Eberron is a system that I have played in a little bit but I've never played an Artificer. I did have an Artificer at my table and Cornelius was a ton of fun because uh, Cornelius was, was, a, it was a dirty merchant. He was a thieving, conniving merchant. He ran a, a magic item pawn shop where uh, half the items were no longer magical, kind of thing. It was a tremendous amount of fun. So I'm really looking forward to, uh, to getting into that and really diving into, uh, into the Artificer class. But yeah. Cool.
0: All right, yeah. my friend. And I want to learn some more about the Warforged. So I, I play one in streams of yeah. Spiro, which is a homebrew campaign world because I like, yep. the, I like the, the look and feel of the Warforged with it. I think finding out, finding their roots and looking at it from that perspective, I think will be a lot of fun. I I, I do. I like that a, a lot. Yep.
1: Yeah, totally. I, I think that that's going to be a lot of fun. And and not for nothing. The warforged are definitely one of those elements that is easily lifted from Eberron into your campaign. They are not they are not that unusual in a regular Forgotten Realms campaign to see in there. They have very much permeated out of Eberron. So that's that's, you know, yeah. Cool. All right, my friend, that is our time. Anything else that you would like to to toss out there before we wrap up for the evening? Yeah, shop local. Go to
0: your local shops. There's a lot of good stuff coming out. There's a lot of great yep. digital content. Buy some things from your indie creators, those local houses that are uh, doing great works on uh, DM's Guild. Yep. Shameless shill yep. for I am. I'm going to plug <laughs> our book that came out this past month. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse. It's available on DM's Guild. It's a amazing companion. It was originally thought of. For the Monsters of the Multiverse group set, which it absolutely is, but as we were writing it, we got musings of, of future things that we now know are definitely coming, and mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. actually a companion to two of the books that are coming out. One of those being the the Monsters of the Multiverse, but also Spelljammer.
1: It um, works well this, with your Spelljammer. It campaign. works absolutely. well,
0: very well with Spelljammer. Yeah. I think yep. it's something you're going to. Players at my table have started. Diving into that and looking at the things, I'm starting to get questions. Many of the items that are in that book have been play tested at, all, at our own tables yep. uh, for a while. There's a couple of the items, couple, three or four, three of the magic items have been play tested and been in my players' hands for the better part of a year. At yep. the, they're good, they'll work at yeah. your table. Use yep. these things.
1: Yeah. You're gonna have a lot of fun with with this. Totally, book. absolutely, um, and, and if you go to uh, if you go to the main uh, podcast website www.ttjourneys.com right now. In fact, you can. Uh, there will be a, a nice little pop up asking you to go check out the book. And if you click on the little pop up, you can get the book at a discounted price. Save yourself some scratch. Go check out Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse. And in fact, next week when Glenn is back, we will be sitting down the three of us to go ahead and do a deep dive into our own book. Uh, so that that'll be fun. Some roundtable questions uh, where we get to go ahead. And and talk about about our baby, what is very much our blood, sweat, and tears over the last three or four months. But has, uh, as they say, sometimes the the only thing that's better than this book is the next book that we're already talking about and already putting together and already uh, already have some thoughts out there. We're uh, we're looking forward to heading back into the studio to go ahead and put some more content out for you guys. But in the meantime, go check out Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, uh, especially if you've got uh if you've got Dragonlance campaigns coming, or not Dragonlance, but if you've got Spelljammer campaigns coming up, maybe they'll work with Dragonlance too. But specifically, if you've got Spelljammer or any sort of multiverse content coming out this is the book you're going to want so
0: absolutely and like i was saying part of that was talking about our own thing which is fun and great but also support the other creators dms guild is filled with content creators who've put in a lot of hard work to bring their vision and the things that they're doing at their tables to everyone in the world and yeah. i think not enough creators on dms guild get enough shout outs. So I yep. want to make sure that we're celebrating our fellow content yep. creators in as many ways as possible.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I actually just purchased something on DM's Guild other the other day that had a custom pug based race. And it's adorable and hysterical in all the ways that a pug-based race must be. So definitely. You can find some really fun stuff, some really great stuff. Check out on Twitter. Check the self-promotion Saturday stuff. People will always send you to their DMs guild, send you to their Kickstarters. Show them your love. Show them your your support. And I also love what you said about uh, supporting your local game store. Our local game stores are very good to us. They will be very good to you too. This hobby got where it is
0: because local game stores provided spaces for people to play before we had all of the tools we have on the internet and pandemic may have slowed down us being there. So, make a point, get in there once a month, do, do the thing. Get those special covers when Watsy comes out with a book. One, they're beautiful. Two, that's their, their local directs. That's how you support your local guys. Get those special covers. Yeah. We, we get them as often as we possibly can. When we do giveaways, we work with one of our local, uh, local game stores, one local to me, the Citadel, and they're happy to make sure that Viewers of Tabletop Journeys, listeners to Tabletop Journeys, patrons of Tabletop Journeys have access to good stuff
1: and they also yeah. mail stuff. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody. That is our show for this week. We will be back next week talking about The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse. So if you are uh, further interested in the book, uh, make sure you check out the show next week. Otherwise, as always, if you're watching us on YouTube, please like, subscribe. We really appreciate the support. If you're listening to us on the podcast, subscribe to the podcast in wherever you are currently listening to us. We love coming out to, to you guys in the community to go ahead and talk about things that you guys want to hear about. We'd love to do it more and your support really helps make that possible. So
0: let us yeah. know what's on your Eberron uh, table
1: uh, this Ooh, month Exactly, so we can talk about that. Yeah, exactly. And that is a shout out directly to you, Mike, from 19 Hits of Dragons. So, all right, all you have a good night. Leo and thank you as always. We will see you next week. And everybody out there in podcast land, we will talk to you again. Take care, everybody. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at
0: patreon.com, forward slash tt journeys if you're listening to us on stitcher itunes PodChaser, spotify or audible we would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform full episodes come out every week on saturdays and every tuesday features our actual play episodes thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community and in the words of another traveler along our path we did you shade and sweet water